0: Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, As you saw, we're doing a teaching series uh, week two and the the shortest title ever, if... If is a powerful word it's it 's one of those words that that speaks to like the kind of the hinge of our decisions like what 's next like if this happens what what 's next and and as we 're thinking about what 's next and that 's really the heart of this series because last week we We talked about, like, what if, and and I didn't spend too much on it. We might in future weeks, because we have the what ifs of the future that kind of lead to worry, don't they? Like, what if I get sick, or what if I lose my job, or what if something happens to my, you know, we do that worry kind of thing. that might be a great message to kind of help us focus a little bit and, like, not on that. Really thinking ahead is, we're, we're, we want to talk about what if God did what he's gonna said he's going to do? What if we moved in the will of God in such a way? What if this, you know, thinking and dreaming, that's really our heart, the possibilities and the potential with God. But I was thinking about it, like you, you kind of need to know, as you move ahead of the, the what ifs, you, you also have to kind of deal with some things behind you of our past. So to move ahead many times, what, says, what if is actually you have to look back on, you know, the regrets that we can have. You really call them the if-onlys. You and I have them, the that, that if-only I would have, you know, if-only I would have took that job and I didn't take the job, if-only I would have went with that person, only if I... Didn't go with that person. Only if I, you know, was a little more caring, a little bit more loving. You know, we have these regrets that we play. And you guys, you, you got to say, you know, we play them over and over, don't we? It's like that bad, it's like that recording. You know, you've got in the repeat mode on your MP3 or phone or, you know, maybe you have a CD player. You know, you, you hit it, the repeat over and over. And you're like, oh, man, I keep hitting it. And we keep beating ourselves up a little bit. And we, we begin, and in some ways, our past if we don't deal with it, continues to be part of our present. That's a struggle we we can all have. So the if-onlys are are there. I thought we could talk about that today. And so if you're trying to get over your past, there's probably nothing compared to this uh, lady I came across with. I was reading about this week. Her name's Jill Price. And Jill has this condition called hyperthymastic syndrome. Hyperthymastic syndrome. It almost sounds like an exercise equipment. Hyperthymastic syndrome. But it's actually a really bad condition because she can recall, recall every single detail of every day of her life. You know, which is great if you're taking the SAT and Jeopardy to remember something, right? But it's a dark side. It's a, it's, a, it's a downward side for her and difficult because the older she's getting, the more information's cramming in her brain and not only what she's, and the knowledge she's having, but she's also reliving those, those experiences. Now, some of them can be great, but even the great experience is like, how much can you really take? It's like your hard drive. How much can you cram anymore before your, your computer is just spinning? You can't go any further. And that's really what her condition is. And she wrote in this book, it's an autobiography, The Woman Who Can't Forget. She says, imagine being able to remember every fight you had with a friend, every time someone let you down, all the stupid mistakes you've ever made. That, that meant most harm in, in, to yourselves and what you said to others and what they said to you. Now imagine not to be able to push them out of your mind no matter how hard you try. And then she says this, I've become a prisoner of my own mind. And I think, I don't know anybody's had that hyperthymastic condition, but, but we all can relate, can't we? There's things that we just can't shake that remind us over and over and over again. We keep hitting the play button, repeat, repeat, repeat. And as we do this over and over, it becomes defeating in our life, doesn't it? It becomes difficult in our life. We just want to move on and we can't. And then on top of that, call it it insult to injury, or injury to insult, is there's one called the accuser of the brethren. The devil himself, sometimes he doesn't have to work that hard to replay over and over and over. Yeah, do it again. Yeah, that's who you were. That's you. you know, yeah, you screwed up. You're a mess up. You, you know, over and over and over and over again. And we live with this. And I think the danger as I see in lives, and I think there's moments I've had to, it's kind of a little bit of the all or nothing approach when it comes to spirituality. Because what happens is we we start going down this defeated life and it's a slippery slope that we keep trying, we keep trying, we keep trying. Me and Shane had a great word there, striving, striving, striving. We're not making it, we're not making it. And finally we do this and I'll be, I'll say it nice because we're in church and kids and all that. We go, what the heck? You know, what the, what, you know. Who cares? We used to say in the 90s, whatever. And and that was it. We just go, that's it. We're done. I'm done. X too hard. Christianity is too difficult. Walking with Jesus too hard. And so we go this and we do this over and over, and we just like it's not worth it any longer. And it's because the past is still becoming our present, and we live with these regrets, and we live this deflated and defeated life. And we feel Guilty, we feel bad, and a strong word is this, we feel condemned. It's like Jill had, a prisoner of her own past. As we might be able to relate with this woman, there's another woman that we're going to look at today that though her lifestyle might be very different than ours and our background, we can all relate with her. There's a person in scripture we're going to look at this morning, very in detail, that has been a prisoner of her past and the reason she has is there's been people reminding her of her past. In John chapter 8 there's a there's a passage of scripture where it talks about a woman who is being condemned for what she had done. But the only difference in the situation was there was someone to come along to say and speak something very different to her. It's a moment that that Jesus encounters her, and I, I, you can almost say it this way, she encountered Jesus because of a, a situation that was much bigger than, than, than her in the first place. A lot of people don't really think about Jesus when they're outside of the church that that jesus actually wasn't very religious people don't realize that jesus and that at the day he was not very religious he was not trying to follow these 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 strict rules by the book jesus jesus had a different approach and not everybody liked it especially the religious people because the religious people were they 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 didn't like jesus because jesus was different and and jesus was not about control he was not about about You have to act a certain way and be a certain way, and if you're not, you're out. Jesus is so opposite. And and people that loved Jesus were nothing like Jesus. Because I think what we look at is Jesus would love people least expected and least deserving, and that's what made it so attractive. And so there was this tension that was there because people were gravitated toward Jesus. People were interested in Jesus, and what happens? is these religious people are losing control. They're losing the ability to manipulate the people there, and, and so they come along, and many times in the gospel we read that these religious leaders, these Pharisees, would try to trick Jesus. And here's a situation we're going to look at here that I want to look at in John chapter 8. Bible says this, it teaches the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commands us, stone such women. But what do you say? And they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. What's happening here, again, the goal was was not about this woman, it was about trapping Jesus. This woman was being used as a political pawn in a story to take down somebody. I don't know if you've seen that lately in history or in, in politics or anywhere else. that You look, it's like there's people being used. And this woman who's already been used and probably abused in the life that she's living, they just go ahead and, and abuse her as well. They use her to get to Jesus. We don't know all the details, and I don't think we need to go there and all the details of it, but just know this, they drag her out into the courtyard to condemn her. But they, they did it in front of Jesus. We don't know where they drag her from, from a house, and she was with some guy. And you notice in the scripture, it doesn't say anything about the guy. He committed adultery as well. They're both together. What happened to the guy? Again, it had nothing to do with the guy. It had nothing to do really with the girl. She was just caught in the middle of it. They could have found anybody out there to drag in, but they do that to get Jesus. They use it to condemn this this woman. They fling her in the courtyard like a piece of trash at Jesus' feet. And time after time, we see this happening where they're trying to trick Jesus. And here's this moment. The Pharisees, it's not a beef about this woman, because again, there's probably several situations they could do. This woman was just in the wrong place in the wrong time. But they put Jesus in this pickle. How does he respond? How does he respond? There's two things he could respond is. He could he could kind of be soft on the situation and going, listen, your your beef is with me, not with her. Let her go. Don't do that. Well, he would be soft on the law. And in fact, the law says that not only if you commit adultery, but if you ate in a bed in Allowing someone to do that, you also can suffer being stoned to death as well. Very serious offense. On the opposite, he could, could go along with the angry mob and said, well, that's your, your, that's your call. You do that. I'm staying out of it. You, you know, that's what you got to do. He, he could be like that. He could be the ones, you know, maybe rightly so, to throw the stone and to condemn her. What, what does he do? Now, before we get to what he does, and some of you know what he does, what would you do? If you were in the courtyard and you were watching this and this angry mob of people, would you be the one with the rocks ready to throw it? Would you think, man, would you, would you be like Jesus and I'm gonna reach out to her, help her? Can I be honest with you? If this happened right in front of me at the moment and I'm surprised, I, don't, I didn't know what was gonna happen. You know what my response is? Can I just be honest with you? I think I might do nothing. Because there's situations like that and moments where we're going, this is not my deal. This is them and Jesus and this woman. This, I have nothing to do with this. And I have learned and I have lived with regrets in my past of not what I've done, but my regrets of the past many times of what I should have done I didn't do. I don't know what you would respond or I respond, but we can look at what Jesus did. But know this is everybody is watching. Can I remind us here, Christ the King, that everybody is watching. They're wondering, are we a community of people by what we say, we proclaim that we really live out? Are we a community of people that loves everybody, accepts everybody, and, and they can find forgiveness to Christ? Are we welcoming those people? Are we really, truly a place where people can belong? Are we are we that? Are, are, they, are people looking are saying, will you accept people that are different than you, that actually live a different lifestyle, that actually... Uh, Participating in things that are not what you would do. Are you willing to let them come through these doors? Are you? Are you willing to accept them? That? There's a, there, there is a community that's watching. And if you can picture, there's a community watching here of Jesus. What does he do? Well, what he does is just pure brilliance. Only Jesus does. He stoops not to pick up a rock, but it says this. It says, Jesus bent down and started to ride on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to him, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he goes back down and he stoops down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one after, at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing here. What did Jesus do? He, was, he wasn't defending the adultery. He was just defending the adulteress. He was finding value, not in not, not lifting up what she did, but who she was. And as I see this wonderful moment, this encounter with Jesus. It just it struck me this way is that grace always stoops to offer a guilt free life. Grace always stoops to offer a great a, a, a guilt-free life. Jesus, full of grace and truth, confronts condemners by writing on the ground. And so what did he write? But we had a Sunday school class. we asked the kids, what do you think Jesus wrote? What would you think he wrote? Well, no one knows, but we can speculate. As he's writing on the ground. What we do know is there was a reaction. <laughs> there was something that happened at that moment when he was writing some names and then got up and then went back down, we don't know if it's names. Could be names. Could be names of the people those guys were with. Ladies they were with. Sins they did. We don't know. All we know is they scattered like rat in a, in, in a daylight. Okay? They were, they were gone. The older ones were smart. Like, we're out of here. We're not going to get involved. The younger ones are like, oh, I guess we better go too. And that was it. And here Jesus is alone with this woman. And here is this place in this moment, so powerful. You could call it the kind of the the what if words that Jesus would say. It says he straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then go, then then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. Here, this woman, you gotta think about that. She's in the worst moment of her life. I mean, she's about ready, I mean, knowing she is contemplating the fact that she's going to die soon it's the and here's this regret that comes over it becomes the worst moment ends up becoming the most defying moment for this woman to encounter Jesus in such a way that she could step into this what if for her life and I tell you there's no difference for us today of moving from the regrets of the past and stepping into the future. Because if you're here today and you feel overwhelmed with regret and guilt and shame and feeling about you, you've experienced judgment. People, you know, when I describe people come to church and you go like, yeah, I was a part of one of those churches. They, I was judged for who I was and what I did and all that. You, you, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere or family, we all experience that probably at times of being judged. And we have those regrets that we hold on to. If you're there and you're thinking, man, I want to move on. I want to move on out of this. No matter where we are in life, let me just share some thoughts of regret to grace. Some regret to grace. The first is this. You can write these in your notes if you want to. Regret condemns, but grace extends. The woman was dragged to Jesus. It was her fault. She knew it. She, did she really need to be reminded of what she did wrong? And I think many times we think about where people, like, do, well, they really need to know they did wrong. Do they? You know you did wrong. You know you did wrong, right? You know when your dog does something wrong, right? The dog is not near anything, okay? It's over here, okay? We all intrinsically know when we do something wrong. We did it. Do we need to remind people that? Do the people out there need to be reminded how bad they are? They're doing a good job themselves to know that. And maybe they're in denial, of course. Philip Yancey in his book, What's Amazing About Grace, shares a story that he and his church were reaching out to prostitutes. You know, these women were selling, really bought their body for drugs. And a pastor had reached out and invited her to church. And her response was this, church, why do I need to go there? I already feel terrible about myself. Why would I go there for them to make me feel worse? At Christ the King, when we desire For this place to be a safe place. We desire for this place to be a guilt. I love, I want us to put up a sign that says guilt free zone. I love the fact we want this place to be a place where people can recognize that shame and guilt can be left at the door. But there's still seats available here. If that's such the message, why is there still people? And I think you know, there's a lot of people really busy. They're getting ready for the, the Seahawk game, and they're, they're stocking up, and they're getting their chips and ready to go. And that's today. That's happening. Okay. So people, you know, those people don't worry about them. Uh, well, actually, you should actually you should pray for those folks. Um, but but uh, yeah, those people aren't those people over there, right? Uh, but I would say that I would say there's people here that yeah, they don't care what we're doing. There's some people that like to know does this church care. Is this a place? Is this a safe place? Is this a place of grace that's there? And do I have to act a certain way and do a certain way? And see, we want our doors to be open. We want people to come in. And yes, we're here's the thing: when you come in, we're going to deal with tough things about faith. We're going to we're going to talk about sin and sin. We're not going to skirt around that. But we're going to do it with respect because see, this is it. God did. Jesus did not come to condemn. Jesus says he came to save. Jesus came to understand that condemnation is not the gospel. See, the condemnation, if you know, it speaks half-truth. Condemnation really, and I think there's a difference, People don't realize the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation really points out sin, but doesn't offer a way out. And so people live shame after shame after shame, and they, it keeps condemnation. Listen, we don't need to do that to one another. The devil does that already. And one of the most powerful scriptures, there's so many, but the ones we've been focusing in Romans chapter 8, and the verse 1, says it all about who God really is, not a one of condemning. Look, at it says this in verse one, it says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you read that with me? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, now means not the past, now means the future, it's right now that we can experience no condemnation because we can be in, because of Christ Jesus and what he's done. God doesn't come to condemn, but he does call us, and the Holy Spirit came to convict sin. See, conviction means to show our hearts, to point out our sin, and find remorse, and yes, it sings and it's painful, and it's uncomfortable, but it's a motivation for us to change. Conviction is a holy, healthy work of the Holy Spirit to get right with God, and then move on. And I think what we've failed to realize is that sometimes, you know, condemnation is confess sin, is being reminded of confess sin. That God, when he sees us, and we tell him about our confessed sin, he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. The Bible says, for the east is a west, he's forgotten it. And yet we keep trying to bring it up. Now the devil will remind us of our, our our confessed sin, but it's confessed. It's under the blood of Christ. It's taken care of. And yet we keep going back over and over again. Now, if there's unconfessed sin, then we need to bring that to the Lord and the Lord helps us. That's conviction. There's a difference. And this lady, she's, feeling this condemnation, condemnation. And Jesus confronts her for where she is, but he comes to bring not condemnation, but to bring the conviction of who he is and her life and the freedom that she can have and find forgiveness. See, regret accuses, but... Grace forgives. Grace forgives in a world of accusations. And you just turn on the news. This last, you know, I don't know how many years now. It's accusations going left and right. And you know, you know, if you don't feel like you're getting any, you know, you don't feel like you've ever been part of a smear campaign, just, just run for office okay? You know, just, you know, try to be something, whatever. I mean, they, they spend millions and pull all the skeletons out of the closet, and they'll, they'll look at your spelling tests and, like, how bad you were. I mean, they look at everything, right? And we get caught up. Listen, I don't know. You're like, I'm better than that. No, you get caught up and, like, oh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that. We get caught up in it. And, and maybe your grandma said or somebody said it, like, hey, if one bony finger is pointing out, guess what? Three are pointing back at you. Right? And that's that's for our lives. And that's why we need to be reminded of this. The apostle Paul says this in Romans: for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freed us and made us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. All have sinned, all have blown it all receive condemnation. All of us are the ones that should be in the dirt ground of that courtyard, but we don't have to be condemned because of the one that brought forgiveness for us. See, finally, a reminder of this, regret incriminates, but grace, grace and powers, grace and powers. Picture this, all the condemners, leave, the accusers are gone, the looky-loos have moved on, and there she was. You need to know her, her sin was no less apparent, her past was no less innocent, her brokenness was no less obvious, and yet all who is left is Jesus. Jesus stayed. Can I remind you that Jesus always stays, no matter what, no matter what we're going through, Jesus always, always stays. You think she was in fear at that moment? She probably was. Jesus says, hey, he who has no sin, throw the first stone. Jesus, the sinless savior, easily could have picked that up rock and thrown it. easily easily had, if anybody had the right to condemn, Jesus did, but it's quite the opposite. Jesus, rather than throwing that rock, probably picked her up. And brought dignity to her life. It was a heavy moment to speak life into her, and it was powerful. It was an empowering moment. I was with Aaron Newcomb, He's a good friend of mine. He's the director of Engetty Refuge. Some of you in this room, I know, I know your names that mentioned he mentioned you by name this last week, that some of you are a part of it. And I've been a part of it. It's, it's an empowering ministry. What it does is it rescues women from prostitution in Whatcom County. And you're thinking, prostitution in Whatcom County? Yes. Get yourself out of your... <laughs> Out of your shelter and recognize that's happening in our world today, even in Whatcom County, and it's, it, it's all about restoring dignity to these women. They speak the gospel to them and the freedom. It's so powerful. Some of you might have heard when Aaron was here and my friend Josh who shared about it. This couple in a couple of weeks, later, I have a prayer gathering coming up, and I encourage you to be a part of that. It, it's just it's it's amazing, amazing ministry. But it, that's the work of Jesus. This empowerment that that yes, people are trying to judge and incriminate, but grace. It is empowering. And I, again, these most liberating words in scripture, when Jesus straightened him and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. And hear this. It says that neither do I condemn you. He declared, go and leave your life of sin. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and, and leave your past, the regrets, and all it is to, be, to step into what I have for you. Doesn't mean he didn't confront the issues. Doesn't mean he didn't deal with what needed to be dealt with, but brought forgiveness. But the goal was to rid her of this guilt so she could be empowered to live the what-if life she has ahead for her. It's all about redemption. It's all about leaving and letting go and moving on and stepping into this what-if life that she could have. And I tell you this, redemption is so sweet. Because what it does is when we have been redeemed and we have been changed, we have the opportunity to stoop down by God's grace and help other people out. Did you know that you can leverage your mistakes, your mishaps, your regrets of the past, and even your sin, your confessed sin, can be redeemed to tell your story to people that that desperately need to know there's hope and that there is a way and there's a help to find freedom and to find forgiveness but to walk in the riches and the power of Christ Jesus, that he did that for us. Our team's gonna get ready here because we're gonna gonna have a time of communion. We're gonna take a moment here and if, if our team could start getting ready for that and prepared, I wanna remind us of another courtyard, another place where there was one that was condemned. The only difference though is the one that, Freed a person from condemnation, now became the condemned. There was no one in that courtyard outside the temple to condemn, to to come and rescue Jesus. He became the condemned one. He became the one that he was accused of the crimes that he did. He was the one who was tied to a pole and whipped close to. 40 times, the Bible says 39 times with, with a cat of nine tails of, of charred glass and nails and everything were put in this to whip him, beat him and then forced to carry this lumber up to, and be nailed to the cross. The condemned, the one that was bring, the bring forgiveness and was now being the one that was going to be condemned. No one was there to rescue him. No one was there because he was the one that, to pay the price for us and that's what we're going to be celebrating commemorating. We celebrate because of the victory that it brought, but we remember what Jesus did for us. In a moment here, usher is going to f- come forward and pass out the bread and the juice. And if you're new to CTK and, you know, maybe you don't know how we do communion, if you're if you're a follower of Christ, I'm a, I, I know Jesus, please participate with us. Receive the bread that represents his body. Receive the cup, represents his blood, but please hold them together. And then we're going we're gonna to partake together here in a couple minutes. If you're new to it all, and you're not really sure what to do in all of it, and you kind of feel like, here, don't feel any pressure. Just let it pass you by. Just observe and, and reflect in all that we've been talking about here today. So ushers come forward now, receive them, hold them, and then we'll partake together. Let's sing this as well.